0: We may not be able to go directly through the standard approach of a transaction, but there is always a workaround if you're willing to do the work and the research. There's always a how. Don't take no for, for face value.
1: If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Michael Glass P. How you doing, Michael?
0: I'm doing great, Joe. How about
1: yourself? Oh, well, I'm doing great as well, and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Michael. He's a commercial real estate broker, also served in the U.S. Special Operations. Thank you, sir, for keeping us all safe when you were in the Army, and a thank you to your colleagues as well. Invest in real estate himself, too, and in fact, holds over 35 rental properties with over 1.5 million assets under management based in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So first, Michael, how about you give the best our listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus, and then we'll go from there.
0: Absolutely. So I am based out here in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I've been active duty military for a little over 11 years. When I first started investing, it was in 2014, and I purchased a standard single-family home, three bedrooms, two baths, 1,200 square feet. Now, I know many people listening are thinking that's not an investment, that's a liability. Well, at that time, single soldier, I was young. I rented out each one of the rooms to other people in my unit. And I didn't know it at the time, but obviously I was house hacking. During that period, I was looking for many different ways to create revenue. So MLMs, Uber driving, Lyft driving, whatever the case may be. But, as I began to do more research, I saw that real estate was a common denominator in many people 's success stories, so I just dove all in. I started to wholesale during that time because from all the research, it seemed like just the natural progression. Well, the first two wholesales, I completely bombed, lost a lot of money on those learned how do you a lot lose of goodness. money on
1: wholesale
0: i 'm going to tell you how so here in the market, now working with wholesale, they exchange money upon the signing of the initial contract with the seller, and as long as they put down any type of money it, it's considered a valid contract well here they'll put down a dollar well me being so anxious getting started I'd put down five hundred dollars <laughs> a thousand dollars on a home that I obviously had it under contract for way more than I should have because uh-huh. I couldn't find I couldn't pay a buyer to take it off of me and it actually ended up being pretty bad because not only did I lose the money during the contract, but I had asked the seller to force her brother who was living in the property out of the property to make it more marketable. So I've learned a lot and I apologize profusely to her back then. Hopefully she's not still mad at me many years later. But that so was was lost that,
1: money and karma points. And
0: karma points, a <laughs> lot of karma points. So I stuck with it a little bit longer and I ended up doing, I think, two more successful deals where collectively I made a little over $5,000. But ultimately I realized that the reason I got into real estate in the first place was to create that passive income. And ultimately I wanted to do that through buy and holds. So I really started to focus on, okay, well the wholesaling thing, that's fine. But if I, if I'm going to continue this energy and this focus here, then that needs to be my primary objective. So I decided to just go ahead and focus on, on buy and hold. At that point in time, I didn't have the capital. So I started to research more creative ways to acquire real estate and, Luckily enough, being here in the military town, we have something where the military forces you to move from location to location. We call it a PCS or a permanent change of station. And there was a couple who bought a house one year, the next year they refinanced it. And the third year, the military forced them to move. So they had Mm -hmm. zero equity in the property. If they were to sell it, they would have to pay somewhere around $10,000 in closing costs realtor commissions, et cetera. So I decided to go ahead and approach them with a subject to, or a deed in lieu of. Mm-hmm. And it worked out in our favor. how did you know the, about
1: subject twos at that time?
0: Just research. When I started, I read a lot of blogs, read a lot of books, but I went to a lot of local real estate investor meetups. And there was one person who mentioned it at one of the meetups, and he said, Have you ever thought about subject two? And as soon mm-hmm. as he said that, I just deep dived into it. Mm-hmm. He was my best friend then? Mm-hmm. Bigger pockets was instrumental in that development as well. And it kind of worked out. Now, the way it really worked out was I had an attorney. I knew that I couldn't really figure this out by myself throughout the whole process. So I found a local attorney who practiced subject to regularly, and I had him actually carry me and the client and the seller at the time through the entire process.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it worked out in all of our favors. But once I accomplished that, I said, this is a no brainer. There's many creative ways to continue to acquire real estate. So continue to go forward. I do multiple subject to owner finance deals. I did a VA live in flip. Essentially, I used my VA loan to purchase a foreclosure, fix it up while I lived in there. And I sold it in less than a year. At that time, I made a pretty decent net profit, a little over 20,000. But when I looked at the closing disclosure, I noticed that I paid my friend and my realtor at the time, very close to $12,000. That was the time that I decided to go ahead and get licensed. I got licensed as an agent, so I continued to invest myself, but I actually partnered with my current business partner now. She was a dominant real estate agent in the area that focused primarily on investors. And so once we kind of joined forces, we decided to go ahead and build the team as it stands now to cater to not only investors, but to fellow veterans to help kind of educate them on the whole mindset of passive income.
1: So you got 1.5 million assets under management, 35 rental properties. What property is worth the most in that portfolio?
0: I would say it's probably an eight unit that we have. That's a little over 500,000, right around 550,000. But when we purchased it, we purchased it collectively in a 24, I'm sorry, 21 unit portfolio. So it was two, eight units and a five unit that we collected all at once from the same seller. But I would say that that one eight-unit property is probably the most expensive.
1: And how much is that worth?
0: That's a little over five hundred thousand. I think last it appraised for five dollars
1: Mm-hmm. And will you talk to us about how you came across that deal and what the business plan is with it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we started off cold calling. We all come from a background of being investors first. And so I actually drove by beautiful little five-unit in a small subdivision that I constantly drove by throughout my time here in the area. And I decided one day I'm just gonna cold call them. Cold called nice elderly lady who was just going through a situation where her husband had just passed. She wanted to let go of the property. She didn't really know how to go about it. She didn't really trust realtors in the area. So we kind of just, over the course of about six months, we continued negotiations until she was finally ready to accept our offer. Hmm. Once we got that property under contract. How do you continue
1: the negotiations over that period of time and not be a pest, but also still be relevant? Yeah. So
0: I found a good medium of about every two weeks to every three weeks, we'd follow up. But every time I followed up, I tried to provide a solution for her. As I mentioned, her husband had just passed. She was trying to go through some of the tax liabilities involved with that and getting next to her daughter who lived in California, which is across the country. And there's so many different things going on that every Mm. time I called her, I try to provide her with a new solution. I gave her contact information for CPAs. I gave her contact information for 1031 specialists. I offered to help her move some of the equipment from one of her properties to another one of her properties. And I just continue to try to provide as much value as possible. And over time... I believe that that rapport was built up enough that she had just wanted to continue the conversation. And then she became accepting, I guess, or trusting in mm. me and what my
1: intentions were. Hmm. That's a great tip. That's really good. Okay. So I interrupted you. You were negotiating and staying in touch with her in a relevant way by providing a solution every time you talked to her, every two to three weeks. And then what happened?
0: And then from there, once we got it under contract, I made sure that, I took the burden to handle everything. So coordinating with the tenants, getting the inspectors in there, getting the attorneys on both sides on board, I coordinated everything. And I ended up making it so easy for her and so smooth that she actually came to me and said, Hey, I have more properties that I'd be interested in selling. And she actually owned quite a few, but we were only interested in in a select few of them. So we identified those other two, eight units. And once we started the process with the first five units, we just continued forward and closed them all up. Now, how we financed them, that's a different story. So we did find a commercial lender who was willing to do 25% down, 30-year amortization. So that was good. Interest Mm -hmm. rates were a little under 6%. So a little higher than normal, but not overall too bad. And collectively between me and my partners, there's four partners, we just raised the money any way we could, because we still didn't have the money when we were starting to acquire those. So, I mean, we took lines of credit, depending on which partner's approach Some of us took out lines of credit. Some of us just had personal money from friends or family. Whatever we needed to do to raise that 25% down payment and the reserves requirements and
1: Mm -hmm. close. How do you divide and conquer the responsibilities among four partners? That's a really,
0: really good question. And it actually came through some headaches in the beginning. As I'm sure everybody out there knows, once you work with other individuals, there's a lot of uh, opinions that may go around. But what we decided to do was we highlighted everybody's strengths. Then we just essentially made an organizational chart. And I have to thank the military for that because that's how we were groomed. And Mm -hmm. all four of us are all from the military. So we understood this very well. Once we divided those tasks based off of our strengths, we made that organizational chart. We then had monthly follow-ups where that individual was ultimately in charge for that section. So for example, when it comes to the accounting and the bookkeeping, that's my room. So I talk specifically to the bookkeeper and the accountant about these properties, and I report back to my partners about the results and so forth and so on. And we have another individual that's specifically in charge of coordinating with the property management company and
1: so forth and so on. Well, what do the other two do?
0: We call it investment relations. And the Uh reason why is because we're looking at bringing in more investors to invest in that specific LLC. So mm-hmm. we currently have 21 properties in that LLC and we're looking to acquire more. Oh, I'm sorry. We have 24 properties now in that LLC. It was a 21 acquisition just at that time. So he's constantly bringing in more and more investors, potentially partner with that. And the second one is just capital. He was the only one that was extremely liquid
1: and we used him. <laughs> <And> so <he laughs> <sold it. laughs> Well, did I hear you correct that you have over 20 properties, I think it's at 21 properties owned by one LLC. 24, 20, let me rephrase that. It's 24 doors owned by one LLC. That is correct. Why not have one LLC on one property?
0: We've thought about this long and hard. So we all have, collectively, yeah. <laughs> individually, we have our own portfolios as well. And so yeah. those are divided up, however, those individuals chose to divide it up. The reason we wanted to keep it all under one LLC is because our strategy is not to hold these indefinitely. We're actually looking at repositioning a few of them and then selling them. Mm -hmm. And we didn't really see the necessity to do that. And with such a short turnaround, we're looking over the next three to five years to sell off at least two of the four, essentially because they're four different Mm -hmm. locations. So we're looking at selling off at least two of them. And then from there, we gave the option for some of our partners to actually be bought out as well. That's built into our operating agreement. So because we really wanted the flexibility of how we can kind of move around, we wanted to keep it under one roof because we don't expect them to stay there that long. Mm -hmm. We do understand the risk involved in that, and that now all doors are subject to any sort of lawsuit or claims against us or whatever the case may Mm -hmm. be. But it was a collective decision where we sat down and said that maybe maybe it won't be too bad.
1: What's been the most profitable property to date? Actually... For me,
0: in my personal portfolio, it was a straight off the MLS. It was priced at $60,000. I got the seller to pay all the closing costs. It was turnkey for all intents and purposes. I bought it for 15% down using a regional lender, and I rented it out in less than three weeks at nine seventy-five a month, mm-hmm. and that's been st- my best cash flow.
1: And you still own it? Yep, still own that one. Is that in Fayetteville? Yes, that is. What about the least profitable other than the two wholesale
0: deals? (laughs) Least profitable will still be that first property that I purchased originally. It's still to this day, the least profitable. I had used a VA loan on it. So there's still barely any equity in it uh, back in 2014. And it rents out now for $1,100 a month. The mortgage is somewhere right around 900. So it's very low, low, low cash flow margin.
1: What's a part of your process that you've optimized over the last year or so? For me, I've
0: really learned how to optimize the leverage. So there's many different things going on. I'm still active duty currently. I'm on my way out the door, but that's still an obligation. We do have the business that we're running as real estate brokers. We have our portfolios that we're overseeing. And I'm also currently working on my MBA. So there's a lot of different hands are in the (laughs) bucket everywhere, right? So what I've learned is you have to leverage and you have to lean on others for support. I would not be able to accomplish anything up to this point without my partners, without finding key individuals. And yes, that comes at a premium. I do pay for my leverage, but ultimately when you double down on your strengths and you leverage out your weaknesses, you find that you'll become 10 times more productive and efficient.
1: Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: Best advice ever is that there is no such thing as no if I would just accept no at face value from somebody said, nope, oh, that's not possible. Oh, we can't do that. That's not within the scope of our work, et cetera, et cetera. Then nothing would ever get accomplished. I'm a firm believer that there is always a how to anything. So yes, we may not be able to go directly through the standard approach of a transaction, but there is always a workaround. If you're willing to do the work and the research, there's always a how. Don't take no for for face value.
1: Will you give an example of how you've applied that in your life? Absolutely. So wholesaling, here's a great example. So
0: we had to actually switch firms. As I mentioned, we're investors first and we work primarily with investors. So we have a lot of internal wholesalers on our team. We have a lot of other attorneys and things like that specifically know these investing strategies of subject twos, owner financing, auction properties, you name it. The last firm that we were at They actually pulled us in the office and they said that we couldn't do wholesaling because wholesaling is illegal. Obviously, we know that wholesaling isn't illegal. It's just about how you perform it, especially as a real estate professional. We have to disclose what our current position is. So that right there was a simple no. And if we had just accepted that no at face value and said, no, we cannot do a wholesale or the way specifically they said, as a realtor, you cannot conduct a wholesale. We know that to be false. But if we had accepted as a no, then we would have Mm -hmm. stopped all production in that part of our business and we would have lost a lot of business because that's a large chunk of our revenue. Instead, what we did was we went to many different attorneys until we found a local attorney who was very well versed in wholesaling specifically. And he knew all of the documents that were necessary, all of the rules and regulations involved around it in the state of North Carolina. And then we developed and designed that portion of our business based off of his insight. And that's more so what I mean is don't take no. And then we also switched firms because obviously that broker in charge was just not willing to evolve with the time. So we switched firms to somebody who could understand it. We had to explain it to them. We partnered up with an excellent real estate attorney and so forth and so on. And that's just kind of
1: of an example. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above, and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more. All right. Best ever book that you've recently read? The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. What's the best ever resource that you use in your investing business that you think might be helpful for others to know about?
0: Bigger pockets. The calculators and the forums are paramount.
1: What's the best ever way you like to give back to the community? Two ways. We do have a
0: local investor meetup. We call it Pints and Properties. We do that once a month, and that's really just kind of share and support any of the local real estate professionals. And the second way is anytime we do a charitable benefit our charity of choice is the Green Beret Foundation. It's a military foundation specifically for the special forces operators out there in the world.
1: How can the best several listeners learn more about what you're doing? You can reach me on Instagram at
0: michael.s.glasby, or you can go directly to the Five Pillars website, and you can get in contact with me or anybody else on my team.
1: Well, Michael, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for talking about the large deal that you have as well as how you structure that partnership where you highlight the strengths and based on those strengths, everyone has certain tasks and then there's monthly follow-ups. Such a simple but effective process. And I'm a simple-minded person, so I like simple processes, and especially if they're effective, even better. And, And so thank you for that and thank you for talking about how you've built a portfolio with partners as well as your personal portfolio. So really appreciate you being on the show I hope you have a best ever day. Talk to you again soon. Thank you very much, Joe.